Hi, this is Welcome to Self, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, business owner, and coach for women like you who want to increase your own self-care and self-compassion, change the relationship you have with yourself and your business, and elevate your business to a new level so you can live the full and meaningful life you desire. Welcome to Self is a podcast for women business owners. It is a place where you can come and learn about the practices that will assist you as a business owner, get tips on how to engage in your business in a way that is sustainable for you. Realize that you're not alone in the ways that you struggle and have your curiosity peaked on various topics as I chat to wonderful guests and bring you solo episodes. This is a place to remember that you are human first and have different tasks in your business and different roles in your life that need your attention. And for that, you need to take care of yourself in the best way you can. This is a place of nourishment, growth, and helpful information. A place where you can learn ways to assist you and your business to thrive. Hi, and welcome to another episode and another great guest. I was connected with my next guest by a previous podcast guest, and I'm very thankful for this connection as I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I'm excited to bring it to you. If you enjoy this episode or any of the other episodes, I'd really love it if you would leave a rating and review. This is the best way for podcasts to reach a wider audience and get helpful information into the ears of more people. So let me introduce you to my next guest, Dr. Robert L. Leahy. Dr. Leahy completed a postdoctoral fellowship in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School under the direction of Dr. Aaron Beck, the founder of Cognitive Therapy. Among his many, many accomplishments, Dr. Leahy is the past president of the Association for Behavioural and Cognitive Therapies, past president of the International Association of Cognitive Psychotherapy, past president of the Academy of Cognitive Therapy, the director of the American Institute for Cognitive Therapy New York, and clinical professor of psychology in psychiatry at Will Cornell University Medical School, New York. Dr. Leahy is the Honorary Lifetime President, New York City Cognitive Behavioural Therapy Association and a distinguished founding fellow, diplomate of the Academy of Cognitive Therapy. He has received the Aaron T. Beck Award for Outstanding Contributions in Cognitive Therapy and in 2023, he was named the Global Ambassador by the Association of Cognitive and Behavioural Therapies and he also received the Outstanding Clinician Award from ABCT. As well as being an editor on journals, serving on scientific advisory committees and being a frequent keynote speaker throughout the world, Dr Leahy is author and editor of 29 books, including his latest book, If Only, Finding Freedom from Regret, and The Worry Cure, which received critical praise from the New York Times and has been selected by Self Magazine as one of the top eight self-help books of all time. It's safe to say he knows his stuff. And on top of all these accomplishments, he's a really lovely person. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Robert Leahy to the podcast. So hi, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you. 
Uh, Haley, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I hope I can uh, understand your Australian accent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of got a blend of an English-Australian accent, so we'll, oh my uh, God. hopefully it's, it's okay for you. So could we start with you telling us a bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, so as you, I mean, I've written a lot of books uh, for clinicians and for um, uh, the intelligent layperson. Um, and what I've been interested in the past, I'd say, 15 years is how we deal with our emotions. So, um, you know, I was trained in cognitive therapy by Beck, but I've sort of moved to a view that there are certain emotions that are universal that we really need to have a more integrative approach to. So, for example, uh, emotions like jealousy, like my wife or partner is interested in somebody else, envy, somebody's getting ahead of me, ambivalence, I can't stand having mixed feelings, boredom, I should never be bored, uh, regret. These are, these are lived emotions. I think all of us can identify with them at some point. And um, they're complicated. And so when I kind of looked at the literature in cognitive behavior therapy, it really didn't seem to be uh, any uh, integrative, sophisticated approach that made sense to me. So I just, I just got interested in, in emotions because I see patients and I'm a human being. And, uh, uh, and I think that there's a, there's a tendency that some people have to think that cognitive behavior therapy is against emotion, which I can understand that it can sometimes seem overly rational and somewhat invalidating. Yeah. Uh, but I think we can expand our approach to have a humanistic uh, cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah. So like you say, you've written many books. And I, I was looking on my bookshelf the other day, and one of my first early books was actually one of yours when I first qualified as a psychologist. So this feels really nice actually interviewing you today. <laughs> um, but your latest book is If Only, Finding Freedom from Regret. So could right. you start by defining for the audience what you mean by regret and what could be some of the impacts of this? Sure. Yeah, so regret is a feeling of discouragement or sadness or, uh, uh, or even remorse in some cases over something I did or did not do, um, or anticipating having regret um, about something I might do or not do. Um, so the impact of regret, uh, which is quite quite interesting, just say, just sidelining that in the study of recording conversations among college students, um, the most commonly mentioned emotion was love or emotions mm -hmm. about love. The second was regret. Oh, wow. And so it's a very, very common emotion that people, oh, I, I, I regret that, or I shouldn't have done it, or that was so foolish. And, you know, uh, we're constantly hearing ourselves or others talk about regret. So it's a very common emotion. And the impact of it is, as I said, there are two ways of having regret about things I, uh, in the past or things in the future, things I did or did not do. Um, so, for example, people who have a lot of regret about the past tend to ruminate, criticize themselves, label themselves, uh, you know, to become depressed, not really uh, be in the present moment, because if you're ruminating about the past, you're not in the present moment. Mm. Um, and in terms of anticipating regret, 
you know, people who are anxious or depressed might anticipate if I do this, I'll regret this. So mm -hmm. if I have social anxiety, if I go to the party and introduce myself to Haley, uh, I might regret it because she might think I'm boring or, you know, uh, or obnoxious or something like that. So we, we anticipate regret. It keeps us from doing things, keeps yeah. us from trying things. Uh, but there are also people, and one of the things we'll talk about is that a lot of regret can be useful. So, for example, we often, oh, we have to get rid of regret and don't have any regrets. Um, but if you think about, um, like, you know, people who are impulsive, who spend too much money, overdrink, yeah. overeat, you know, act out inappropriately, whatever, it's that when they're making the decision, when they're acting impulsively, they're not anticipating that they're going to regret the consequences of what they do. Um, so some people have a deficit in regret, and that's a real problem. That perhaps in some ways that's the overlooked problem with regret, the people who have the incapacity of either anticipating regret or from learning from their regrets. Yeah. And we see that all the time. Yeah. So it can actually be a helpful thing, can't it? If you factor it into some of your decision making, like you say, if you're a particularly impulsive person or you've got behaviors that are really not helpful and perhaps harmful for you in your life, yeah. then yeah. actually anticipating some regret could be a good right. thing. But for some other yeah. people, this yeah. anticipatory regret could get them quite caught up in anxiety and concerns. Right. Yeah. And as you as you were talking, I'm wondering if um, people who are quite perfectionistic would they be more likely to be caught up in this sense right. of I'm going to regret, I might right. regret this. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, several things. One, there's, there's, a, there's a particular software thing called uh, Google Ngram, where you could, um, uh, you could Google on this uh, platform uh, how often a particular word appears in uh, published language. So in English, how often does regret appear? So between 1870 and let's say 2022, mm. uh, regret after 1980 increases tremendously in oh, terms wow. of being mentioned in, in, in published uh, books or uh, articles, or whatever. So regret is, has become much more common than it was 40 years ago. Similarly, at the same period, referring to perfectionism being perfect also increases. Mm, so. That's it's an interesting thing. It's kind of like, you know, I think in, in America and in other parts of uh, Europe and Australia, I'm sure that, you know, at 1980, there, after 1980, you had an increase in, um, in uh, sort of a, a higher level of ambition, higher inequality within society, and people thinking that I should be able to accomplish anything. So you have this increase of wealth. Now I can do anything. Uh, which is a real trap. If you think you can do anything, mm -hmm. uh, then you're really thinking you can defy the laws of gravity, <laughs> which doesn't work. <laughs> it's not a good career choice. You know? <laughs> uh, but the other thing in terms of perfectionism, uh, Haley, there's a concept in economic theory and decision-making called maximizers versus satisfiers. Mm -hmm. So maximizers are people who are trying to get the very best. Yeah. You know, if they go to, they go to a restaurant, and the menu comes and they start doing pairwise comparisons of the 50 options yeah. on the menu. Whereas I would order a tuna fish sandwich <laughs> and get out of the restaurant. Uh, 
So the maximizers think I have to have the very best in order to be satisfied. And what we know is that maximizers take longer to make decisions. They require mm -hmm. more information. And when even with the outcome, uh, they're less satisfied. And even if the outcome is objectively better than the outcome for a so-called satisfier, they're still dissatisfied because they mm -hmm. compare it to what they imagine. So maximizers are kind of a version of our perfectionism. They, they, yeah. they have what I call existential perfectionism. You know, my life is going to be just yeah. perfect and I'm going to have the perfect job and all of that. Yeah. So that really interferes with decision making. Um, and it makes it hard to make changes, to take risks and to live with the real world. I mean, we're going to live in the real world and everything involves trade-offs. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, if you're married or unmarried, whatever job you have, they're going to be pros and cons. Yeah. And uh, there's the such a is, cognitive load to that, isn't there? I mean, that there is just yeah, such a yeah. heavy cognitive load to yeah, such yeah. intense decision making. And when we think yeah. about the prevalence of burnout, particularly, you yeah. know, a lot of my audience are business owners, is that stuff's got to kind of impact yeah. the the risk of burnout for people as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In some in some ways, uh, sometimes you have to think it's only a job. Right, it's not my life. Um, and one one way of putting it in perspective, Haley, is they've looked at the regrets of people in hospice who are, are facing imminent death. Yeah. Um, what what do they regret? They regret that I spent too much time at work. Yeah. That I wasn't true to myself. I wasn't true to my feelings. Uh, I didn't see my friends enough. I didn't yeah. tell people I love them. You know, things that your grandmother might have told you. Yeah. Or, or the things in life, that's that's the bottom line when you're facing death. That's what really counts. Yeah, absolutely. Not not I should have spent a few more hours, you know, working on that document or you know, <laughs> doing a bit more marketing or something. <laughs> it's not really what's going to matter to us, is it, when we're in our final days? Yeah, exactly. It's a lot to be learned from uh, looking at how people face the end and. Yeah. And how we think about what what do we say to them? Oh, you could have made more money or you could have published more books or articles or whatever, right? Yeah. As opposed to when we actually, I think when we think about people who died, we think about ordinary moments, you know, yeah. that, you know, walking along a hiking trail or making love with somebody that you care, you cared for, you know, those are the things that really matter. And regret in a way is saying that, this alternative that you missed out on, that would have made all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I'm like curious. It's what, sorry? A cancel emotion. It cancels out your life. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lovely way to think of it, actually. Um, so I'm curious to know, what was it that inspired the writing of this particular book? I mean, you mentioned that this was like the second um, most mentioned emotion from the students. But what was it that actually inspired this book for you? Well, I think I, I, I'm not a particularly regretful person, um, and I'm fortunate that I have a pretty good life. Uh, uh, you know, I certainly have regrets. Like, if, I think uh, when I was in college, I didn't study 
as much as I should have, but I got into Yale graduate school. I was going to say, it turned out <laughs> it okay, though, right? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a complete failure. Uh, you know, when I was single, I had girlfriends I may have stayed with for you know, too long, but, you know, mm. uh, but I'm happily married for many years now. Yeah. Uh, uh, what got me interested, Haley, is that uh, I see patients on a regular basis, which I really enjoy. And I found that a lot of people I talked to have regrets or anticipate regret. You know, I should have pursued this career. I should have done this. I shouldn't have married this person, you know. Mm. Uh, and so I thought, God, regret is such a powerful emotion. I was talking with somebody uh, a few years ago who was in her 90s who was regretting that she got married at 22 to somebody she divorced, you know, uh, 20 years later and then married somebody else who she was very happy with. But she was, you know, regretting a decision she made over 70 years ago. Uh, mm. So I thought, gee, my God, this is a powerful emotion. What, yes. what does cognitive behavior therapy say about it? And there was almost nothing. So I began looking in the you know, decision-making literature, the behavioral economics literature, and so forth. And regret uh, has been a very important aspect of that. And regret is another anticipated cost of making a decision. So when you when you have people doing pros and cons, like we do in cognitive therapy, the advantages and disadvantages, we often don't say, well, how about regret? How yeah. much of a cost will that be? And that's how that was introduced into economic, uh, uh, behavioral economics, that yeah. regret is the unseen cost and making decisions. Yeah. So you talk in the book about getting unstuck from regret and having more clarity and confidence in decision making. Could you talk to us a bit more about this and perhaps share some examples of how people might get unstuck from regret? Right. Well, I think there are a number of things. I think one, one metaphor to use about life and about regret is to think about your life as either chapters in a book mm -hmm. that you're the author of, you know, which chapter are you in? Yeah. Or you think about yourself on a train that has many stops. So regret could be a stop on the train. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody who, uh, who uh, you know, had a patient years ago who uh, was caught in infidelity and he certainly regretted it. And uh, we thought, look, that was a, a, a stop on the train where you did something you now regret. Let's think about regret as the opportunity to learn and improve your relationship, which in fact, he and his wife, with all the courage and resilience that they could uh, muster, actually improved the relationship as a result of that. I mean, it wasn't easy. Um, so regret could be like a stop on the train or a chapter, and you move on to the next one. But the question is, when you move on to the next station or the next chapter, what have you learned from yeah. your decision? And I always think about, and you know, we always think about regret as a failure, as opposed to as an experiment. So if your listeners are business people, yeah. um, if you're an investor or an entrepreneur, guaranteed, you're going to make some, you're going to make some mistakes, you're going to lose yeah. money, right? If yeah. you're in it, I mean, I, I just learned uh, this week that uh, Uber finally is making money. I mean, <laughs> think about that. Think about how many billions of dollars uber brings in and how little they pay their their workers and yeah. you know 
Now they're making money. Yeah, what a surprise. Gee, I thought you go into business to make money. Yeah. But that's the long-term view. So, but if you think about regret as we carried out this experiment, I tried this behavior and the outcome wasn't what I wished. How can I learn from that? How can I make things better in the future? The other way I think of using regret is to look at the regrets of other people. So when I was in college and in graduate school, a lot of my peer group were using alcohol and drugs to quite an excess. And I thought, wow, the only thing I really have of any value is my brain. <laughs> I had no money. I wasn't, I wasn't a trust fund kid. I came from a poor family uh, on scholarship. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to learn from these people? Yeah. And that was don't have a drug problem, don't have an alcohol problem. Yeah. Um, and so the cheapest way of using regret is to use the regrets of other people. And there are a lot of examples out there, you know. Um, yeah. so, so regret is an opportunity to, to learn, to grow, uh, to make yourself better. The problem with some people is that they ruminate and they get stuck on the regret. And we can talk about how to deal with that. Yeah, so so not seeing it as like the the final destination. Exactly, just right. stop along Keep that train moving. Yeah, and, and looking moving. and thinking, okay, what are the lessons that I can take from this? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that I can actually move forward and make better decisions with right. more confidence yes. moving yes. on. But say somebody's really haunted by something that, like you, yeah. you're talking about this 90 year old client that's been holding on to this regret for 70 yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, that's almost yeah. heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. What, yeah. what a thing to carry, even yeah. when she had finally then met somebody that she was happily married yeah. to, yeah. holding on to this, this, yeah. this time in her life that she can't change. So if somebody's particularly yeah. haunted by that, um, and it didn't work out as they hoped. What what might yeah. be something people could do with that? Because I'm sure there are many people that hold on to regrets. Right. You know, I don't think people want to regret. I don't think they want to feel bad. I think I think they get hijacked by it. You know, it's yeah. like it's jealousy or envy. You get hijacked by emotions. And I think a way of looking at it is that, um, like 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 you can think about. Regret, you can ask the, the patient or client, uh, do you think that you're focusing on regret right now? And of course, it's a truism. That's what they're focusing on. You know, what are the costs and benefits of continually to repeat this in your mind? Uh, obviously, it's costly. It makes them depressed, cancels out the present moment. They can't appreciate it. Um, what if you were to accept that it happened and you can't change the past? That's the acceptance piece, which is very liberating in a way. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, right, uh, I made a decision that wasn't good. But further, was it all bad? You know, did you have any children with that person? You know, this yeah. person did. So that was a good thing. Uh, what is the bigger picture? It's what I call the life portfolio, right? So in fact, this person had so many things for life that were really, really meaningful. We all, you know, it's like we often think, when we regret, we often think about this little tiny thing. If, if I had only done something different, yeah. my whole life would have been better. But all of us have a life portfolio. We have, yeah. you know, we have our friends, we have our family, we have our, our spiritual value systems, we have our community, we have our work, we have our health, we have our ability to learn, to grow and all that. So if you think about, I have this life portfolio, 
and yet regret is about something that happened years ago I can't change how can I make this life portfolio as good as it can be yeah. now, maybe it could have been better if you had not made that decision but right now the only thing that you have any control over is to make this this life better than it is and one way of doing that is you know I, I grew up poor so I think one of the advantages people oh oh poor Bob you're poor I think there were a lot of advantages of being poor uh I mean they're disadvantages but one advantage that I take with me is uh the ability to appreciate what I have yeah. I don't take it for granted yeah. and uh, the ability to understand people who don't have less and to have compassion uh about them rather than scorn and marginalize them uh yeah. you know kick them when they're down so you can feel like you're up you know yeah. that's what people do um so thinking about you know if you were to like what one way of thinking about it Haley is what I call the you know, the you know negation technique uh which is just imagine everything has been taken away I've used this with um you know Wall Street people I've used it with cab drivers in New York and use it with anybody everything has been taken away you have nothing you have no body you have no memory you have no family you have nothing you're absolutely nothing yeah. now um let's we'll do a role play I'll play God uh, you can say that's miscasting but you know <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna reach on that one because uh, the actors are on strike so there's an opening there for me as God so I'm gonna play God and you can have one thing back at a time I won't tell you how many you're going to get back the only way you can get anything back is to convince me that you appreciate it mm. and why you appreciate it you think about that or mm. your listeners you know and I did this with one guy I'm thinking about you know he'd want his daughters back uh and so what do you appreciate that like tears in his eyes the tough Wall Street guy uh you know even the difficult times we had you would love them and all this you want to just wipe back and you know why and all and you know he I said well how about your eyesight you know you haven't asked for your eyesight back what would you what what would you want to see and why why would you appreciate that of course it was his family and I said here's the irony he had lost a couple of million dollars and yeah. been cheated out of a couple of million dollars so he was understandably angry I said here's the irony you have everything you want back that's the most important but because you're so focused on this you haven't been yeah. focused on what's right in front of you yeah absolutely so it's really isn't it it's about you know I work from a compassion focused perspective and yes. when you were talking it's like people get in threat when you're in regret you're in threat so you're really <laughs> narrow focused aren't you on this yeah. one thing like this man yes. you, you've lost yes. money and all you think yeah. about is how am I going to get my money back how am I going to get yes. my money back right. yeah. and it's really about zooming out isn't it like zoom out so you've got right. a big yeah. picture of your life yeah. so you can put yeah. lots of things into perspective Right. I love that that um, concept of life portfolio. Like there is so much more than this one thing, isn't there? It is right. And the thing about Paul Gilbert's an old friend of mine who uh, developed compassion focused therapy, and uh, and Paul is actually authentically a compassionate warm. Oh, he, he does the walk, he does he the talk, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful man. guy. He's a real mensch. But you know, it's it's like you can even think about compassion as the antidote to regret if, if you want to be inoculated yeah. about regrets focus on compassion on a daily basis yeah focus absolutely. on focusing on loving kindness to every living creature that you can think of even the ones who have passed on yeah. like if you 
practice a loving kindness prayer or meditation um, that, you know, like thinking about, like I can think about Paul Gilbert right now mm. and wish him well and kindness mm. and his wife, Jean, and think about yeah. what a wonderful person is, how I love him as a friend. And yeah. I feel better already. I, I don't have well. room for I'm regret. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have room for regret. I'm too much caught up. I'm hijacked by compassion. Oh. And so, you know, and the thing about it is that is that people who regret that my life could be better. Um, I mean, one thing I, I was talking with a, a patient once who was regretting he didn't have make more money. And I said, Do you think there are any people who envy you? Mm. You know? And of course, if he thinks objectively, it would be like 99% of the world. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't realize how lucky we are, even when we think we're unlucky. Yeah. It's that perspective shift, isn't it? But, but you've got me all warm and thinking about Paul and Jean now. So let's just do a little shout out to them because they are oh, we can, yeah, we can, beautiful uh, humans. Kisses to Paul and Jean. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so lovely um but it really is that perspective piece isn't it i mean there, there are people yeah. looking at, right. yeah. at me and you and people yeah. listening that are yeah. looking at our lives and saying gosh i wish i had a life like that yeah and it, we're it's, looking it's, at other people's lives maybe saying oh right. i wish i had a life like that right yeah yeah it, it's an interesting thing how we often go around idealizing other yeah. people's lives and the reason we do that is we don't know them you know, yeah, like, we don't know like what's the behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. You know, we don't know what's behind the curtain, Haley. And what's behind the curtain can be pretty gruesome, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you look at these celebrities, you know, incredibly talented people yeah. with enormous money and fame, uh, celebrity and opportunity, you know, overdosing on drugs on their yeah. fifth marriage and yeah. in and out of rehab. You know, it's a very difficult time. It's a very difficult experience. I think being a celebrity because you have a should statement all the time. Yeah. I should be happy all the time. I should never have any difficulties. My partner should do everything I want because I am so famous. Yeah. That's a, that's a absolute guarantee for being miserable. Yeah. There's a concept that I found very helpful uh, called, uh, you know, adaptive humility, which is not I'm a doormat or I'm, I'm less than people. Yeah. It's that I'm a human being just like everybody else. I don't deserve any better treatment. I'm not any better than anybody else. I'm not worse than other people, but I can always learn from my mistakes and I can always respect other people for who they are. Yeah. Adaptive humility, you can see the connection with compassion. Yeah. Adaptive humility, the people who have adaptive humility, uh, one, have better marriages. Second, are uh, are considered uh, better friends. I mean, you don't want a friend who never says they're sorry, right? Yeah. Uh, and it allows you to live in the real world. You know, so if you don't have, if you don't have everything at 100%, you have it at 80%, you can say, well, you know, let me try to be content with 80. I can try for 85 or 90%. But while I'm doing that, let me try for contentment. Let me say yes to 80%. And make the best of that. Um, yeah. I was thinking about contentment with a, a patient who he was talking about aspiration of trying to be, you know, wealthier, more successful. And uh, it was a, his physician. And I said, "Can you remember a time in your life 
when you felt just really content, like this moment is really a peaceful, wonderful, complete moment, just as it is. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I was doing my residency and I was sitting outside and there was this pond outside where the hospital was and there were ducks. And my friends and I were just sitting there looking at the ducks. So this is the duck cure for, for his, <laughs> his frustration with not having, not being a maximizer, not having everything. You know, the ducks don't have everything. You know, the ducks are ducking in and out and happy to be in a little pond, hanging mm -hmm. out with Daisy and Donald over here. You know, uh, they're content. Mm -hmm. There's this contentment that seems to be a difficult concept in a culture where we're always pushing ahead. Yeah. We never get to stay in the moment and be content and settled and peaceful. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, we, we are we do live in a society, don't we, where striving is right? really yeah. rewarded. It's like just keep right. going for the next yeah. thing, going for the right. next thing. And yeah. when I when I'm working with people, I'll, I'll always say, take time to slow down and actually celebrate right. where you're at. Exactly, and, and right. spend some time right. where you're at. Right. But also yeah. that that piece you're saying about, you know, when we look at other people, I'll say to people, be very wary when you're looking at all the shiny stuff online. Oh, God. That, yeah. That's the marketing. Right. Right. That's not the story. That's the marketing. Yeah. Yeah, and some exactly. of it will be genuine stories. Right. And a lot of it is people who are putting out what they want the world to see. Right. Um, so we don't want to be comparing ourselves right. to right. something that potentially right. isn't that real. Here's a homework assignment for every day for the rest of your life. Count the number of things you see that are being marketed that you deep down inside, you know, you don't need. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. one, you'll save a lot of money. And two, you'll have a lot less envy. Yeah. I can't remember where I heard it. It was probably at one of Paul's trainings. Um, but I think I can't remember who it was um, who said, I love going down to the markets on weekends to realize how much stuff I don't need. <laughs> I only take one empty bag and return with one empty bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's liberation. It's sort of like needs are, are hijacks. Like I need this new Apple, you know, device or, or computer or technology or new wardrobe or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things about the pandemic is that, you know, people were no longer going into an office wearing fancy office clothes. You know? Yeah. I have all these suits in my apartment. They're really nice suits. I haven't worn any of them for over three years. Yeah. I feel sorry for the suits, Haley. <laughs> the suits, I feel, they feel, I go and I talk to them. I said, don't, it's not about you. You're a good suit. It's, the other suits, you're also good suits. But <laughs> I just I haven't had a need for you, but I, I will check on you periodically. Yeah. And maybe put, put it on, wear a tie, and then put you back in the closet for six months. Don't take it personally. Right? <laughs> Get to know your other suits. <laughs> Hopefully the suits aren't having too much regret just hanging there, not living their full and meaningful life. <laughs> love it. Love it. So when we think about people in business making um, making decisions, we want them to be able to make decisions with clarity yeah. and confidence yeah. and not get yeah. caught up in regret. So I guess, yeah. you know, the things you're saying is remembering that, you know, if we if we do something, it doesn't work out. It's not a failure. It's, it is just data, isn't it? It's just an experience that we yeah, can it's, it's, it's take part some of the lessons process. from. Yeah, it's part of the process. It's part of the learning process. You, you try something out. It works. It doesn't work. You try to improve it. Um, 
there's, there's an interesting book on the history of design called Success Through Failure. And um, what it is, is that what, what a lot of um, designers, engineers or whatever, uh, or product designers do, is they try to see where, where the limits are on this product. Like you know, where the limits are on a computer or a bridge or something that you design or piece of technology. Uh, and you know, to see where it will fail. I mean, the goal is to find out where it will fail because that will tell you where the improvements can be made. I mean, if you think about Steve Jobs from Apple, he was a genius at this, you know? And so there's a sense in which that we can think of, that's a contradiction, success through failure. But if you have a failure and then you think, gee, I can learn better. I, when I used to do a lot of windsurfing uh, or, or sailing, what you do when you are doing windsurfing or sailing, yeah. if you want to get better, you, you sail as close to the wind as possible without falling over, which means you fall over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how you learn how to sail in heavy winds. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what makes it exciting, kind of looking for the pushing the limit. So it's an analogy, I think, for the idea of thinking about things not working out as experiences you learn from and you grow from. It's an opportunity emotion. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, um, get get really good at uh, at failing, so to speak. Um, <laughs> That's I, a great I, way of... Again, yeah. I can't remember who I heard it from, so I can't credit them, but it was like learn to fail quickly and move on. Yeah, right. You yeah, know? and it's it's kind of like um, like you like we often think that we have to avoid failure. So for your 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 business people, your investment people, uh, a lot of my patients over the years have been investment people in New York, and if they're not investing the money that they've been allocated, which means that they're going to lose some investments, if they just hold all of it in cash, they're going to get fired. So which means that they're paid to take risks. They're paid to be active uh, because that's how you beat the market by being active. Um, so if you think about um, that taking risks is part of success, yeah. uh, on the other hand, there are some people who don't assess risk appropriately and they think they're geniuses. For example, this whole uh, Bitcoin thing, SBK yeah. and you know this whole fraudulent uh, you know, uh, company, uh, you know, taking down billions of dollars uh, with with a, a fake product, taking risks, thinking you'll never get caught. Yeah. So when you look, when we look at the, when they've looked at some of the regrets that business people have, it's that they they didn't invest enough, they didn't uh, they didn't take risks, uh, they didn't start their own business, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Failing is is the is the is the, are the, failing at things are the steps you take in business towards success. Yeah. I mentioned Uber. You can yeah. say Uber failed for all these years because it made no money, yeah. but what it built up was market share and yeah. a customer base in uh, a product and a, and a brand. And so now, I mean, um, Amazon didn't make money for a long time. Yeah, total failure, Amazon. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. So that's the it's thing, isn't it? We, we need to move forward, and some of that is going to involve things not working. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't take the risks, yeah. we stay where we are. We're never even going to have the opportunity to live full and meaningful exactly. lives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think one one way of looking at it, if you if you're honest with yourself, and you say, "I never have had any regrets." I think two things, three things. One, you're not honest with yourself. Two, that you haven't lived a full life because you haven't taken the risks. Yeah. And third, you haven't learned from your experience. You know, it's like yeah. like one of the chapters in my book, uh, If Only, is, you know, people often think guilt is such a bad thing. Oh, we have to erase guilt. But imagine if you were single, you were looking for a partner for a current long-term relationship. And you met this person that you liked each other, you were attracted to each other. But this person said, you know, hey, I got to tell you something. I like you, but there's a module in my brain that's missing. That's the capacity for guilt and shame. I never feel guilty. I never feel shame. And I never anticipate it. How likely would it be you'd want to form an intimate, close, lifelong relationship with somebody without the capacity for guilt? Why has guilt evolved if, yeah. if, it's, if it's always so bad? Why has hunger evolved? Yeah. Yeah, because it's old people, yeah. it's signaling you have to eat something. Same thing with thirst. There are some people who have the absence of thirst, and those people get dehydrated and yeah. collapse. So guilt, yeah. guilt is a social emotion that helps us, one, yeah. avoid acting against uh, the interests of other people and ourselves. And second, it helps us repair relationships. So if... Yeah. And so I, I never apologize. You know, I did what I did because I am who I am. How could you have a good relationship with somebody who thinks they're only an yeah. individual and they're trying to live in a world with other people? You know, um, yeah. so that individualism about you know, I'm I just do who I am. I do my own thing. You have to live with it. Uh, those are people who are constantly trampling on the feelings and rights of other people. So. When, when people give an apology, the best apology is going to be one that you fully acknowledge your own suffering in, in, in hurting somebody. That I feel so yeah. bad that I hurt you, that I had a hard time sleeping and I couldn't think of anything else. Uh, yeah. I hope you'll forgive me, but I can understand why you might not. You know, don't yeah. act entitled yeah. to an apology. Yes. An apology yeah. is the gift that somebody else can decide to give or not give. Yeah. Yeah. So when regret shows up in our lives, sometimes it, like we said earlier, it, it is a good thing because yeah. it helps you reflect. It helps you slow down and look at what is it that I've done yeah. or what is it that's happened? Yeah. What can I learn yeah. from this? Right. What What's the next station I want to arrive yeah. at on my train? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. There's always a next station on your train. Yeah, and yeah. it's uh, it's something that that we often we often get focalized on one thing. Like if you think back about the whole spectrum of your life, you know, from your early childhood to now, into your future self, right? Yeah. And you think about all these different chapters and different uh, different personifications of Haley or of Bob yeah. or whatever. Uh, that's a lot of information. Why should we narrow it down to this one thing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So writing a book is such a huge undertaking. And you've written many of them, 
which is amazing. What's been your biggest learning through writing your books? And are there still other books that you'd like to write? Yeah. Uh, good questions. Yeah. So I've written and edited 29 books and I'm working on wow. the third edition of the Treatment Plan for Depression and Anxiety book that uh, we hope to finish up in the next few months uh, to be published by Guilford. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've thought about uh, what, what drives me at this point in my life is that I want to write, I, I want to work on a book. I want to write something that I want to read. I, I want to write something that I'm interested in, not just simply to add something to my resume or the royalties, mm -hmm. which will not change anything in my life. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a sort of think about like, I've been toying with the idea of writing a sort of a political psychology book about populism. So, you know, we have Trump in the United States, but we have populists all over Europe. Uh, in Eastern Europe, you have Orban, Putin's a populist. Uh, uh, you have populists on the left, like Chavez in Venezuela when he was alive. Um, so what drives, what are the psychological factors that drive populism? And, uh, you know, it's like, like if we say, you know, somebody's a racist, that's why they're a populist. That doesn't help us explain why they're a racist. You know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's like saying, oh, somebody has opinions different from me, so therefore it's stupid. That doesn't explain why they have those opinions. Yeah. Plus, there are a lot of people who are populists who are very smart. Um, so I'm really intrigued by that. I'm intrigued why it's so popular. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I th I think I have some ideas, but that'll be that would be a real challenge. So yeah. I I don't really know what my next book is going to be. I mean, I yeah. I don't want to be signing any contracts in the next twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. And what what do you think have been your biggest learnings through the the process of writing? And I guess have you had any regrets through your writing process? I haven't thought about having regrets in writing. I mean. I think if if you talk if you talk to somebody who does a lot of writing, they'll acknowledge it's painful. I was talking with a colleague uh, just last week who published a lot of articles and books. We were talking about this. And he said it's actually for for him physically painful to write. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's physically painful, but it's painful. I got to sit down and write this book. I think what I've learned about writing is that you have to be disciplined. We can't wait for the muses to show up and inspire you. So what I do is I try to schedule like an hour on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, Sunday, where I'd write, where I try to write. Um, and you can get a lot done if you do that on a regular basis. If you do that for, let's say, 45 weeks and you write six, seven pages every week, you have a manuscript, you know, 300 and 20 pages or something. Um, what I've learned from writing is um, I've learned from writing that it actually helps me become a better therapist. So if somebody, like I wrote a book, The Worry Cure. So if somebody comes in with worry, I'm ready. I am ready for that. Or I wrote a book on jealousy. Like, oh, jealousy. That's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is what I should do is I should put all my patients as my co-authors because without <laughs> them, I yeah. would have no material. I mean, you've seen this, Haley. You've seen people who are academics who never see patients, yeah. who write about clinical stuff. Yeah. You're thinking, 
What world are they living in? These are not real people. You know, these are theories and abstracts and philosophical grandstanding or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I think about writing as um, it actually keeps me interested in seeing patients because I'm always curious, how does that make sense of this person? How does that work for this person? And then how can I help them? But also, how can I help other people understand that I've heard their story listening to this person in front of me? Yeah. Everybody has a story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm plagiarizing. I, I'm plagiarizing. That's what I've learned. <laughs> I'm taking other people's lives and their dialogues and their inspiration and their disappointments, and I'm using it for my own profit. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're honoring them in a way of, you know, being in service to many people, because I'm sure throughout all the books you've written, you've, you will have touched many, many lives. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting thing because I'm up in, we have a weekend house 100 miles from New York in a very rural area. This is where I do all my writing. Yeah. There's 78 acres of forest over here, okay. largest wetlands in Connecticut over here. All we have here are chipmunks and birds and fox oh. and, you know, deer and stuff like that. Oh, wonderful. Um, this is where I do all my writing. So I think of myself, I'm just sitting here at this little desk, you know, typing away. And then somebody halfway across the the world, you know, sends me an email. I've read this. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Somebody outside of this little village knows uh, about my work. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, like I say, this is like a full circle for me because on my bookshelf is, you know, a book I bought very, very early in my career that you've written. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to interview Bob for my podcast. This is so cool. <laughs> So if you were only able to give one piece of advice, and I know that can be hard to distill it down, but what would you most want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? That you're the author of your own life and you don't have to be stuck on a previous chapter or a previous station on the chain. Uh, You can write the next chapter. You have to think about what you want that to be. I mean, we often... You know, there's a whole area called narrative psychology, like, you know, thinking about the story of your life. Um, Think about the story that you want to write in the next chapter. Think about what you want that train to be. And think about how you can use your regret as a checklist of what to do differently in the future. Right. It's kind of like, um, like if you, if you look back and you think about, the mistakes that you've made or things that didn't work out. Collect that as useful information. So remind yourself, don't treat other people this way or don't, you know, uh, don't take risks that are unnecessary or don't over drink or don't do this or whatever. Uh, But do this, live a life that you would be proud of. Um, Become the person that you would admire. Yeah. You know, that's how Aristotle defined virtue. To become the person that you would admire. Would you admire somebody who's cruel and selfish? Or would you mind would you admire somebody who's kind and compassionate, like Paul Gilbert? Yeah. Become Paul Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it's all about. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to contact him after this and let him know he's got much love and many shout outs on this. Uh, he knows episode. I'm a crazy person, so you know, but, I know he might just count it. Yeah. I might just let my listeners know for anybody who would like to know a bit more about Paul, there is an episode, I think episode four of the podcast, I'm interviewing Paul as well. So you can yeah. go and have a listen to him. Um mm-hmm. 
So I just wanted to say as well, when you were talking before about you, you set aside like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you allocate an hour and you don't wait for that sort of magical moment to yes. arrive. You yes. just sit down yes. and you have the willingness to do the work. Um, yeah. I was thinking in terms of, you know, business where people are kind of working on a project in business or working on their marketing or whatever it is, you know, these things can be really helpful, can't they? To just say this, this is actually what I'm going to schedule in for myself. Um, yeah, yeah. this is what I'm going to do and I need to have yeah. the willingness, not necessarily the motivation yeah. um, to sit right. down and do it. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. So this next question I asked to all of my guests, and it's my favorite question, is if you could meet your 80 year old self, what do you think he would say to you? Uh, hurry up. I think, I think, uh, I think my 80-year-old self would say, you know, keep doing what you're doing, uh, assure balance in your life, uh, keep, yourself, keep yourself close to the people and to the things in life that have eternal uh, value, uh, like nature and love and kindness. And don't forget that you grew up poor, you had a hard time, but you overcame those obstacles. Other people are dealing with their obstacles. Um, and uh, there's always, in that there's always something to learn. I mean, like C Cicero wrote uh, many useful, uh, uh, what they would call letters, were actually essays, uh, as dialogues uh, or as, as letters to other people. He wrote one on old age. And one of the things he, he says is that uh, when you get older, you're not driven by all the uh, the desires and ambition that you have when you're younger. You kind of are where you are. And the other part is that as long as your mind is working, you can always learn. So I think about Aaron Beck, the founder of Cognitive Therapy, who died uh, a couple of years ago at the age of 100. And uh, we called him Tim, uh, it's his middle name. Uh, Tim, a week before he died, uh, he, you know, he was, uh, listening to audiobooks, because uh, he had macular degeneration, he couldn't see. He was listening to audiobooks, and he had a wide interest in audio in all kinds of things. And he was working on research projects, and he was co-authoring books. Wow. You know, and his mind was uh, his mind was uh, was intact to the very end. And so, if you think about, as long as you have the life of the mind, I I have this is my study because I have all these books. I have thousands and thousands of books. I have thousands of books on my iPad, <laughs> you know, and I plan to buy other books I won't read. Yeah. So what I, what I think everybody. about, <laughs> I've got to live a very long time because I have an obligation to these books and I have an obligation to those suits in my closet. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you could put your suits on and read some books. <laughs> I, I think that's a brilliant idea. And now you've solved my problem. And I feel <laughs> like a complete human being now. But, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because people think about uh, people who are older are, are going to be depressed and miserable. It's actually the highest rates of depression are people in their 20s. Yeah. You know? That wasn't always the case, but it is the case in today's uh, today's world. Yeah. Today's world of alienation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So finally, if people want to find out more about you, get in touch, where can they find you and engage in your work? And I'll put some links in the show notes of the episode as well. They can take. They can come to New York City get, and go to Grand Central Terminal, take the number six 
train <laughs> up to 58th Street. <laughs> okay, that's probably not a good idea. Um, <laughs> no, that we, we have a website, cognitivetherapynyc.com, and um, you can go to Amazon or any similar uh, book uh, platform, uh, and all my books are there. My books have been translated into, I think, about 23 languages. Uh, wow. I, I sometimes don't know because sometimes people uh, publish the books and don't contact the publisher for the right to publish, but they've been translated into almost all the major languages yeah. Fantastic. So available well yeah. thank you again bob this honestly has been such a pleasure i've really enjoyed talking to you and i have no doubt that people will get a lot from listening to this episode as well well it's great to speak with you and i think what also made it great is we had the same laughter yes. <laughs> what's the saying a day without laughter is a day wasted all right you know, yeah one of the one of the metrics i use and i talking to people about choosing friends or partners is uh who can you be silly with like, yeah. if you think about this make a list of all the people you know and check them off on the silliness meter right yeah. and i'll bet the people you feel closest to you can be the goofiest with yeah Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just fortunate enough last week to um, celebrate my 10th wedding anniversary with my dad. Ah. Husband. And one of the things that we talk about that we love so much about our relationship is we have laughed together every single day we've known each other. That's a, yeah. that's a great, uh, one of the predictors of recovering from trauma is the number of times you recall laughing in the previous year. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's the Irish uh, sort of therapy. <laughs> well, joke, yeah. joke your way out of misery <laughs> well it's been an absolute pleasure I'm, I'm so grateful to you for uh coming on the podcast same here Haley. you have a great uh great day great evening and uh uh thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure for me too thank you so much take care take care thank you for sharing this time with me today I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. If you've benefited in any way from the podcast, please do me a favor and show my pod some love by giving it a five-star rating and review. Ratings, reviews, and shares really help to increase awareness and reach of the podcast, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. If you have any particular topics you'd like to learn more about or guests you'd like to hear from, please reach out and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself and your business and may you go well and go gently.